Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join special guest Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. 79, a pastor of a, of a little church in a little town called Olney, England, 238 years ago, sat down and he wrote a song. And he was writing this song and a few others just so his church would uh, have something to worship by. He wanted to write some, some, some new songs. And he didn't have any... In fact, he wrote several, but one of those songs turned out to be very, very special. And I don't think that man had any idea, the song that he wrote on that day, what would become of it and how the Lord would use it. It's estimated, I read this week, that that song, written 240 years ago, is still performed 10 million times every single year across this planet. It's been recorded on 11,000 albums by some of the greatest artists this, this world has ever seen as far as the world is concerned. And I've heard testimonies of people being saved just listening to that song. You know what it is? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. And how precious did that grace appear the hour that I first believed. Even today, I, I, I get chill bumps when I say those words. The man wrote it 240 years ago, and, and it's a beautiful song. And it's in its beautiful words, but what makes it so weighty and what makes it so powerful is the man wrote it about himself. You see, that small, that pastor of that small church in Olney, England was a man by the name of John Newton. And John Newton, before he became a Christian, was a slave trader. He ran the, the triangle from Africa to Europe to the, to, the, uh, to the Caribbean area where they bought and sold slaves. He, he drove that boat across the Middle Passage. The man sold human beings for a living. And if you were to say to me that a man who does that is a despicable man, I, I would have to agree with you. In fact, I think we'd probably even call him a wretched man. And if you were to say to me that a man that does something like that doesn't deserve forgiveness, I would agree with you. He doesn't. But you see, that's why it's called grace. You see, when we, try to, to, when we try to define grace, and we use phrases like undeserved mercy, unmerited favor, unqualified love, unearned forgiveness. You see, all those words have to go with grace, undeserved, unearned, unmerited, unqualified, unconditional, because that's what grace is. If, if it was earned or you deserved it or you merited it for some reason, then it wouldn't be grace. Amen. That's, that's what grace is all about. And you know, in this church, I've been in this church now for 17, 18 years, and we talk a lot about grace. We preach about grace. We teach about grace. We, we sing about 
grace. And it's right and proper and good that we do that because Christianity, that's, that's, that's what it's all about. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, if you're saved here today, or you're going to be saved at any point, it's for one reason and one reason only, because of grace. Undeserved, unearned. If you could earn it, if you could merit it, if you could deserve it, then it wouldn't be grace. It is a beautiful subject. It's, it's, a, it's just one that I think in this church we love to talk about. But here's a problem. In the 17 or 18 years that I've been in this church, I've noticed something about people. And that is that some people just have a problem sometimes accepting grace. It, it's almost like, you know, it just sounds too good to be true. You see, man-made religion is all about earning God's favor, is it not? That's what religion is. And, and too many people spend their life, if I can just do better, God will love me. And I've noticed that even with, for example, there's, I've seen met people in this church who are Christians and they love the Lord, but some reason they just have trouble accepting that God loves them unconditionally. And so they spend their lives on this wheel, always trying to do better, always trying, never feeling good enough for God. Because they just have trouble accepting grace. I've run into unbelievers and I've, I've sat down and talked to them and I've explained grace to them. And I said, you can just come to God as you are. And they'll say, no, you know, I need to get cleaned up first. You ever run into that? I, I need to get some of these things out of my life and I need to get cleaned up. Then I'll come to God because they can't accept grace for what it is. Or I've run into other unbelievers. You talk to them about grace. They said, no, that's, that's, I can understand. Some people can understand why John Newton needs grace. They can't figure out why they need it. He was a wretch. Look at what he did. I'm not like that. I'm not that kind of person. I'm a good person. I don't need... See, they can't accept grace either. So, if you're one of those people here today, and you want to go to heaven, you want to have eternal life, but you just can't accept grace, I got some news for you. There is another way. Now, before Pastor Henry's face gets any redder, before, before, before anybody throws your Bible at me, turn to our passage and I'll show you it right from the Bible. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Now, our story, we're going to start in 25. We're going to walk down these verses and I'm, we're going to explain them to you. I'm going to do a little bit of teaching today. Our story begins in verse 25 with a lawyer asking Jesus a question. Verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, lawyers in that day uh, were also known as scribes, and they're a lot like lawyers are today. Today, a lawyer in the world today, they have to know law, right? They have to know state law or federal law or tax law or whatever the case may be. Well, in that day, the law, keep in mind, in Jewish society, the law was the Bible, right? The law was the Old Testament. So lawyers in that day were experts in the Old Testament law. They knew it inside and out. They had to transcribe it. They, they wrote commentaries on it. They, they rendered decisions on it. So they, they, knew the, they knew the Old Testament. They knew that, the Bible inside and out. 
So the lawyer stands up one day and he's asking Jesus a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? But I want you to notice something about that scripture. I want you to see his motives. This man's not interested in truth. He doesn't really want to know the answer. He's putting Jesus to the test. He's trying to get Jesus to say something so the authorities can kill him, so that they can condemn him. He's just trying to trap him. He is not interested at all in what Jesus really has to say. Now, there's nothing wrong with the question. In fact, can I tell you, that is the question. I think it's proper today that we're recognizing graduates and all of these young men and women who stood up here and they're, they're going to go out into the world. And, and I remember when I was that age and I had so many questions, right? You know, who, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go to school? What's my job going to be? You know, who am I going to marry? How many kids are we going to have? What kind of house are we going to buy? How big a boat can I, can I get eventually, you know? Th- those are all questions. But can I tell you, those questions pale. They're not even worth being considered with that question. And I'm going to tell you, you'll walk out of here and you'll go out into the world. And I went to college and I sat under men and I sat under men that taught me physics and calculus and and science and religion. And they knew a lot, but those men couldn't answer that question. That question can be answered by one man, and that's Jesus Christ. And see, here's the beauty of this. The man is asking the right question, but he's asking of the right person. He's the right question at the right person at the very right time. So let's see how Jesus responds. Verse 26. So Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And I love what Jesus did. You see, when the lawyer asked Jesus the question, he was putting Jesus to the test, wasn't he? Jesus was on trial. Jesus was in the dock, so to speak. But with one phrase, Jesus turns it completely around and says, You're the expert in the law. You tell me. Now Jesus is not on trial. Now it's him. Now he's in the dock. Now he's being tested. He doesn't even know it. So Jesus turns it completely around. And of course, Jesus says, what does it say? Well, the man answers because remember, his job, he's an expert in the law. He knows exactly what the Bible says. And he answers in verse 27. And he answered, "You shall remember the question, what do I do to gain eternal life? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So the lawyer says, the Bible says you got to do two things. In a nutshell, you got to do two things. Number one, love God perfectly and love your neighbor perfectly. Love God with all you are, everything that you have, your mind, your heart, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor in the exact same way that you love yourself. That's what the Old Testament teaches. Now, I want you to look at verse 28. Jesus' answer. And Jesus said to him, You have answered... What? You've answered correctly. Do those two things and you will live. In other words, Jesus says, Mr. Lawyer, you're right. You, you answered right. You, you do those two things, you'll go to heaven. You do those two things. You love God perfectly and you love your neighbor the same way you love yourself and you will go to heaven. You will have eternal life. Now, at this point, and when I'm reading this story, I say, wait a minute. Where's the gospel? Where's where's grace? Why didn't Jesus tell him, oh no, son, you got it all wrong. You need to repent, take up your cross, and follow me. But that's not what Jesus did, is it? Now, I, I need you to understand something about Jesus right now. 
Jesus is doing personal evangelism. Don't miss that. He's not standing on a mountain teaching 4,000 people. He's talking to one man one-on-one. He's doing personal evangelism. And when Jesus does personal evangelism, he does it better than anybody else because he knows what's in somebody's heart. There's another story very similar to this, and you don't need to turn. It's in Matthew 19. It's the parable of the rich young ruler. One day, Jesus is walking along the road, and a young man comes up, and the Bible calls him a rich young ruler. He was rich, and he had a lot of authority. And he comes up to Jesus, and he asks the exact same question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, well, son, you need to keep all the law. You know, honor your mother and father, don't murder, don't steal, don't do any of those things. And the young man says to Jesus, I've done all those things since I was a young man. But then he says this, what am I missing? He tells Jesus, I'm missing something. I've done all that. You see, that young man was looking for an answer, right? He wasn't trying to test Jesus. He wasn't putting Jesus on trial. He was looking for an answer. He said, what am I missing? I know I'm missing something. And the Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said to him, all right, this is one thing you're missing. Because Jesus knew he was rich and he knew he loved his money. He said, go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. See, Jesus has a way of getting right to the heart of the matter, doesn't he? He knows what's holding you back and that's what he's going to go to. Listen, does that mean, does that scripture mean that everybody has to sell everything they have? No, because Jesus was doing personal evangelism. Everybody with me? That was for that young man. Sell everything you have. And by, by the way, that's a, it's a sad ending to that story. The Bible says he went away sorrowful because he was very rich. He could not walk away from his money to follow Jesus. You see, in that case, he said, come follow me. But in this case, it's completely different. This man's not looking for truth. This man doesn't think he's missing anything. He thinks he's fine. So Jesus needs this man to see this is who you really are. This is really your, your, your status before, your, before God. So he's going he's gonna to minister directly to this man. So what we, again, what we need to understand is Jesus is doing personal evangelism. So this lawyer thinks he's fine. See, the, listen, until you realize you're sick, you're not going to go to the doctor. Until you realize you're a sinner, you'll never see the need for a Savior. By the way, this is where personal evangelism always starts. When we train people to use the Romans road of salvation to lead somebody to Christ, what is the very first scripture we always start with? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because if you can't get, if you don't know you're a, a sinner, how will you ever know you need a Savior? So he needs, he needs to bring this lawyer to the point where he understands he needs somebody. He needs a Savior. Now, at this point in the story, the lawyer, if he would have been smart, he'd have walked away. What's the old adage? We, we've all watched enough Law and Order, right? The lawyer never asks a question you don't already know the answer to. Well, the first one he knew the answer to, but he's fixing to mess up. And, and look at verse 29. It says this, But he, talking about the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Now, what does that mean, he's desired to justify himself? Well, notice in the verse 1, remember how it said the lawyer stood up? Everybody see that in verse 25, the lawyer stood up? See, Jesus is teaching, and everybody's sitting down. And the lawyer has a question, and he stands up. Anybody ever done that, stood up in a class? And what does everybody else do? What's this guy going to say, you know? 
And, and notice what he did. See, what happens, he stands up, and now he's been caught in his hypocrisy. Because he has asked Jesus a question that he, obviously, he already knew the answer to. And everybody's now looking at him thinking, well, what, man, what are, you, what are you doing here? Are you testing him? Are you trying to catch him? You're not really looking for truth. This man understands, I've been caught. So attempting to justify himself, to make himself look innocent, to make himself look, no, I, I really am interested in truth, he asked a second question. And that question was this, well, who, who's my neighbor? You see, what he's trying to do here, he's, he's like, Jesus, look, it ain't that simple. Life has is, is got these gray areas, right? I know we're supposed to love God and we're loving my neighbor, but let, let's be real here. Who, who's my neighbor? So he wants to look like he's really interested in truth. Now, I can tell you right now, Jesus does not like this question. Because see, what the lawyer is trying to do right now is put people in groups. These people are worthy of my love. These people are not. See, he's asking this question, who is my neighbor? He wants to know, well, Lord, is it every race? Is it every gender? Is it every religion? Is it every nationality? Is it every ethnicity? Is it every socioeconomic status? Tell me, Lord, who do I have to love? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus does not like that question at all. In fact, Jesus he will not answer the question. He's not going to answer that man's question. He's going to tell a parable that will change the question. He's going to tell a parable that will absolutely change the question. Now, the parable that he's going to tell is probably the most famous parable that Jesus has ever taught. In fact, this parable is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's so famous that it's actually become part of our culture. Part of our vernacular. Listen, how many times have you ever watched a newscast or you read an article where somebody uh, helped a stranger? What do they call them in the, news, in the article? A good Samaritan. It's literally so famous that it's become part of our culture and part of our vernacular. So Jesus, but in, so he's going to tell this, uh, this story, right? And, it, and, he, and this is what I found out over the years. Not only is this the most famous parable, it is also the most misunderstood parable. If you just went out in the world and asked people, what is the parable of the Good Samaritan all about? They'd say, oh, it's about being kind to strangers. Folks, that's not what it's about at all. That's a lesson you can take from it. I heard somebody say you could probably teach, preach ten sermons on the Good Samaritan. I believe that's true. But that's not what it's about. This parable is about what it takes that lawyer to get saved. It's not about being kind to strangers. This parable is all for this lawyer... Remember what the lawyer said. How do you get to heaven? The context. Love God, love your neighbor. He says, okay, who's my neighbor? Jesus is saying, all right, you want to know what it takes to get to heaven? You want to see what it takes to love your neighbor? Let me tell you a story, Mr. Lawyer. And he starts in verse 30. Let's read it. So Jesus replies to his question. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. Now let's stop right there. I want you to notice something. The man in the story is completely generic. Is he young? Is he old? Is he black? Is he white? Is he Jew? Is he Gentile? Is he rich? Is he poor? Anybody know? No. You see, this is funny because in this story, in just a minute, Jesus is going to name people. Oh, that guy's a priest. That guy's a Levite. That guy's a Samaritan. But the guy that got beat... He don't name him at all. 
And this is significant because remember, the, 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 the lawyer wants to know who that guy is. Who's my neighbor? Tell me about him. Right? And Jesus says, no, man, I'm not going to tell you who that is at all because that's, he's got nothing to do with the focus of the story. The story's about you, Mr. Lawyer, not about him. You'll see that here in just a second. It goes on, Luke 10, 31 to 32. Jesus says, Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now here's the thing. The priest and the Levite represent religious people, just like the lawyer. Remember, the lawyer is a religious man. He knows the Bible. He knows exactly what the Bible. The priest and the Levite are the exact same way. They all go to church together. They fast. They pray. They tithe. If anybody knows the Word, they know the Word. They knew what Deuteronomy 10.19 says. Deuteronomy 10.19 says, Love the stranger because you were a stranger in the land of Egypt. They know that. They know exactly what they're supposed to do. But yet the Bible in the English says they went by on the other side. If you look at the Greek, it literally means they went as far the other way as they could possibly get. If he was in the left ditch, they went on the outside of the right ditch. In other words, they completely shunned him. They did everything in their power to completely avoid him. They didn't even think about going over to help him. You see, if anybody knew what to do, it was those men. If anybody should have helped that man, it was those two men, but neither one of them did. And remember, let's go back to the context. Teacher, how do I inherit eternal life? What does the Bible say? Love God, love your neighbor. In that one action, those two religious men are excluded from heaven. Because number one, did they love the stranger? No. And when they didn't obey God's word, they proved they didn't love God. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. In that one action, those two religious men, the men that fast and praised and tithed and went to church every Sunday, those two men were excluded from eternal life because they failed those two tests. Everybody see that? They failed. They're out. Because they didn't meet... Mr. Lawyer, you said these are the, this is the bar that's been set. Love God, love your neighbor. And that's true. But you see those two religious men, with all their religious stuff, they failed the test because they didn't love the man. And by not loving the man, they proved they didn't love God because they didn't keep His commandments. Now, at this point, he's going to enter into a part of the story that's going to shock the lawyer. And that is starting in verse 33. Let's read from 33 to 36. Jesus is still teaching. He says, But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds. He poured on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, suffice it to say, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They hated them. It goes all the way back to the sons of Solomon, way back in centuries. They were, they were Jews that had intermarried with Gentiles, so they were considered half-breeds. They, they worshipped in a different temple. They worshipped on a different mountain. They had a, a, a form of the Old Testament that was different. It had different books in it than the Jews. So the Jews just despised them, absolutely hated them, didn't want to have anything to do with them. And so I can imagine 
this lawyer's like, as soon as he heard the word Samaritan, he's like, what in the world? I was thinking today, it would be like Jesus telling a, a parable today, and he said a Muslim came along, and we would say, what in the world are you using a Muslim for? There you go. That's exactly how the Jew saw it. That's exactly how the Jew saw it. Why would you include that guy in a parable? But I want you to see what this man does. Now, this is so important to understand this parable. First thing he does, he goes over, he binds up his wounds, he pours on oil and wine. The oil is a salve to soothe the, the pain. The wine is a disinfectant. That's, that's to clean it and to help it. He pours on his own oil and his own wine. It, he puts him on his animal. In the Greek, the idea there is the man only had one animal. He put it, it was his. That was his mode of transportation. And so he puts the man on the, on the animal so he has to walk. And then he takes him to a hotel. Now let's stop right there. If the man had only done that, what would we say about him? We'd say, man, that guy's awesome. Look, look, look at what he did. What a, he's a good Samaritan. But he didn't stop there. He stays all night at the hotel taking care of the man. And the next morning, he goes down to the hotel, to the, to the manager of the hotel, and he gives him two denarii. Now, a denarius in that day was the pay of a, Rome, a day's wage for a, a Roman soldier. It was considered a day's wage, a fair day's wage. So he gives him two days' pay. Now, from the best that we can tell, because the Romans kept great records, from the best that we can tell, listen to this, a two denarius would have put that man up in that hotel for two months. Not two days. Not two weeks, two months. Take care of this man for two months. And then, if that ain't enough, he completely opens himself up for extortion. Doesn't he? He goes down to that hotel guy and says, Hey, here's two months. This will put him up for two months. I got to go, but if I come back, if you've spent any more, I'll pay you back. Now, what do you think is going to happen when he comes back, right? He comes back in two months, that hotel guy's go, Oh, you, you just can't imagine what all went on with this guy. I mean, we had to call in special surgeons. The, we had to chop her in a, an ambulance. I mean, the, the, the money. And, and, but the man opened himself up for that, did he not? Folks, what you have to see from this parable is this is lavish love. This, this is a generosity that goes way above and beyond what anybody's called to do. This is a generosity and a love that most people reserve for one person in their life. Themselves. See guys, that's the point. That's the whole point of the parable. The Samaritan did for that man what he would have done for himself. See, that's the whole point of that thing right there. And what I want you to see is this is a love without limits, without boundaries, without qualifications, because guys, that's how you love yourself. You love yourself without limits, without boundaries. And that's, what he, that's the lesson here. You've got to love your neighbor the same way. Listen, I don't want to be too forward this morning, and I certainly don't want to be rude. But if you think that by giving a little bit of money to some guy on the side of the road, that you've somehow fulfilled the principle of this parable, you are sadly mistaken. If you think that by somehow by pulling over and, and, and maybe helping somebody and staying with them until they got... Uh, let's say their cars broke down and they've called, you pull over, and they've called and you stay with, you stay with them until help arrives, 
If you think somehow by doing that that you fulfilled the principles of this parable, you are sadly mistaken. In fact, if you wanted to think about this, let's take that scenario. If you want to fulfill the principles of this parable, you're riding down the road one day, somebody's broke down, you pull over, you, you find out they're, they're, they're broke down, you go over, you call the wrecker. The wrecker comes, you pay the wrecker. Right? You, you follow the wrecker to, you pick them up, put them in your car, you follow them to the mechanic shop. When they get there, you pay the mechanic. And you pay the mechanic, say, here, I'm going to pay you for this. And by the way, if, if it's more than that, when I come back, I'll pay you. And then you take those people to the rental car place and you buy them a rental car or you rent them a rental car. Because see, guys, that's exactly what you would do for yourself. Is everybody with me? Love your neighbor the way you would love yourself. Do for your neighbor the things you would do for yourself. Now, I've got a, I've got a question. Can you think of one time in your life when you've ever done that? Can you think of one time in your life where you've actually done something for a stranger in the exact same way you would do it for yourself? Listen, Jesus is going to bring this all home to this lawyer who thinks he's okay, who thinks he's loving his neighbor. Look at verse 36 and 37. Which of these three do you think proved to... And somebody say those next three words with me. Which one proved to be a neighbor? Everybody see that? What was, what was the, the lawyer wanting to know? Who's my neighbor? That's not the point of the parable at all. The point of the parable is who, which one of those was a neighbor? Everybody see the difference? Jesus has completely changed the question, guys. He changes the question from what kind of person is my neighbor to what kind of person are you? He, he changes the question that the lawyer wanted to know, what kind of people are qualified to be loved by me to am I the kind of person that loves without qualifications? See, he, Jesus never answered that question, who's my neighbor? He said, which one of those proved to be a neighbor to the man that was hurt? And of course... The lawyer has to answer, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. In other words, you do the same. Jesus has completely changed the question. And here's the point of this parable. See, we think it means be kind to strangers. That's not the point at all. The point of this parable is this. Okay, Mr. Lawyer, you want to go to heaven? Then you love your neighbor the exact same way you love yourself. You love them lavishly. You love them generously. You, you, you do everything for them that you would do for yourself. You love them without limits, and you love them without qualifications. Because again, that's how you love yourself. If you want to earn eternal life by the law, if you want to obey the rules of the law, you're right. You can get to heaven if you love God perfectly and you love your neighbor perfectly but that's how you've got to love your neighbor right there the same way you love yourself and i'm going to ask you this morning do you know anybody that can love like that listen i, I can't do that I, I listen i don't i don't even love those closest to me without limits and qualifications you don't either <laughs> be honest we all got limits. We all got qualifications. But you, listen, you don't even love those closest to you. How in the world are you ever going to do it with a stranger and your enemies? 
which is what the Bible commands us to do. You see, guys, the point of this parable is that, and, and, and what he's trying to get the lawyer to see is, Mr. Lawyer, you just set the bar right here, and you're way down here. In fact, the bar that you just set is unreachable. It's impossible. You're right. There's another way. Love God perfectly. Love your neighbor perfectly. And you don't do either one of them for one second of any day that you live on this earth. Never. The bar is set impossibly high. And see, guys, this is where the knife should go into our heart. This is where conviction should be laid down at our soul right now. Because just like that lawyer, every one of us in this room says, I can't do that. I can never meet that qualification. I can never, set, I can never reach that bar that's been set to earn it through the law. You see, unless you love God, unless you love your neighbor like that all the time, let's just say you did it once. That's not good enough. You've got to do it all the time. You're not going to heaven that way. See, Paul wrote in Romans 7.10 this, and I, and I love this, and this means so much to me today. The commandment, which was to bring life, proved to be death. See, the Old Testament is supposed to get you to heaven. The Old Testament is supposed to show you, do these things and you'll get to heaven. But Paul says, when I read it and I tried to do it, instead of giving me life, it brought me death because I failed every single time. See, that's the point. You, you can't do it. It's impossible for every one of us. See, that's why we're sinners. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need mercy. That's why we need forgiveness. Listen, if you're a Christian here today, if you're a Christian here today, and you struggle with grace, you just struggle with accepting grace, if you just feel like you've, you've always got to earn God's love, I've got some good news for you today. You'll never earn God's love. But here's the great news. You don't have to. That's why it's called grace. If you're, a, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and, and you, you've been filling the pool, but you just feel like you need to get your life cleaned up, if I can just get rid of these few things, then I'll be worthy to, to come to that altar. i got news for you. You'll never be worthy. But I've got great news for you is you don't have to be. You come just as you are. That's why it's called grace. And if you're here today and you look at men like John Newton and say he was a wretched man who needed grace, but that's not me, I'll be honest with you, that is the greatest fool's errand of them all because we all break his law. Not a single one of us have loved God and loved our neighbor the way we should. We are all sinners and we all need grace. You're not good enough, but the good news is you don't have to be. That's why it's called grace. I want to close with this scripture. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation because I just love how the New Living Translation says it. This is Romans 3, 21 through 23. It says this, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law. There you go. But now, the law says love God perfectly, love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. And if you're honest, like me, you'll realize I don't do either one of those things. I can't. It's impossible. So I feel, if we're not careful, we'll feel hopeless. Well, how could I ever get to heaven? Well, God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping those two things, because you can't keep them. And what is that way? We are made right with God. 
by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. For everyone is sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. You see, Jesus has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We sang it a while ago. He is worthy of it all. He is worthy of it all. He is worthy of it all. Listen, I don't feel any more... I feel more saved right now than I think I ever have because it's like Jesus set the bar so high. He says, Derek, you'll never reach it. You've got to rely on grace. And thank God I did that years ago. I'll never make it. I'll never be good enough. But I don't have to be because it's grace. And that great song that John Newton wrote 238 years ago, it says this, Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. And it's grace that's brought me safe thus far. And if I'm going home, it's grace that's going to take me there. Not works. It's not going to be works. It's not going to be earning it. It's not going to be any of that. It's going to be undeserved, unmerited, unearned, unqualified, unconditional love, mercy, forgiveness. It's all going to be about grace. Listen, if you're here today, seniors, if you're here today, let me tell you, you'll never make a more profound, a more weighty, a more life-changing decision than to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Accept His grace. Accept His grace. I hope you can do that today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. What, a, what an amazing... Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.